right, well, welcome back to another episode of Mobile Home and RV Park Minute. I'm your host, Tyson Cross, and today uh, we're going to do another episode with Tim Steele. Um, and again, this is, yeah, say hi, Tim. <laughs> we're, we're super professional at this podcast, so you know. But for anyone who's just tuning in, this show is really uh, exploring all about mobile home park and RV park investing from a from a practical standpoint. Um, but we're not, you know, we're t- trying to be gurus or anything like that. We just like talking about the space. We both invest in it. Um, I sell parks. Tim uh, lends or finds financing for them. So this show really is just about that. And on this episode, we're going to jump back into the project that we partnered with on last year. And uh, in the first episode, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. But basically it's an introduction to this series, if you will. And the series is basically about the entire process of Tim and I buying an RV park with a motel component, which makes that pretty unique. Although I've seen more of those now that we've bought it. But essentially what we're doing is going A to Z to the entire process and anybody who's interested in this in this space or interested in buying an rv park hopefully this will be helpful and informative and least of all or most of all not least of all uh interesting so um so i'm going to turn it right over to you last time we sort of broached well not broached we introduced the the park that we bought and a little bit about how we did it I, I would like to go back to the acquisition and the discovery piece of it because I think you and I talked after we bought this, once we closed on the property, and by the way, it was like a seven-month close or seven-month transaction, so incredibly long and fatiguing. But when we closed on it, there were some things that you and I talked about that wish, we wish we would have done differently, and I think a lot of people do that, uh, certainly on their first or second deal, but this is our first RV park. so. Why don't we start there and maybe talk about, I don't know, or take it wherever you want, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Tyson, for having me on again. And uh, I don't know if your audience, you know, it's worth mentioning, but you and I, as we make the series, guys, these are one takes. We're not doing editing or anything like that. So what, what you hear is purely organic and what we say, whether we have a little mishaps or uh, you know, give you more information than other pods. Uh, it's, it's, it's our goal to just be organic and authentic. So, um, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but that's kind of what we're doing and I really like it. So with that, um, yeah, as we talked about before, um, as we break these down in series today, we'll talk about the acquisition process, at least where we started and kind of maybe why it took seven months. I don't think that'll be every transaction, but, uh, you know, with our, with our partnership, it's worth mentioning that, you know, the power of just getting in front of sellers and that's what you did. Right. Um, and we discovered this deal by just, yeah, old school, figuring out if people are motivated to sell and you came across a seller on this property and he happened to have medical news, I think is how the story goes. Uh, he turned 78 and the, basically the doctor told him you need to slow down and he was managing the property, just he and his wife actively. So, um, I think he had been trying to sell it before on his own. And once you got involved, it made a lot more sense. And uh, he was okay with the price that we were comfortable with, which meant we didn't have to go to market with it. And we gave him a fair price. There wasn't, I think we gave him market value. We weren't trying to, you know, take it from him on a really good deal. 
But at the same time, I, I think just starting getting motivated sellers, whether that's people hiring, you know, guys, gals like yourself or you're calling by yourself, you know, once you have motivation, it's then getting books and it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, I would add that, you know, I'm a broker, so that that helps. We have a team here, but <clears throat> I, I would encourage anybody looking in this space, looking to buy a park, um, really go out and make some broker relationships. I mean, I, I I'm a huge proponent of brokers and I think they're incredibly valuable. Obviously I'm biased, but you know, they're the ones on the phones every day. I mean, you're going to have some luck doing this off market, but if you want to build a business and scale, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have some relationship with brokers. So, um, well, and you guys have specialties, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, someone could call you and ask to go buy an industrial building. That's probably not going to be you, but if that industrial investor wants to buy an RV park, mobile home park, that's you. Um, yeah. So anyway, found the deal and, and really, I think this is a, another topic that we can explore, but we learned some lessons <laughs> in the due diligence process. I think yeah. well, first, before we get there, Tim being an expert in financing, what really drew us to RV parks before we even got started was the ability to get certain kind of financing. And this is going to be a later episode, but really Talk about that. I mean, we won't dive into it right now, but just give like a sneak peek as to what that is. Sure. Um, the easy answer is we got away with 10% down conventionally uh, without seller carry or private or hard money loans um, through the Small Business Administration, the SBA. And so from a sky high perspective in comparison, a lot of your listeners are used to hearing from the banks, you know, 25, 35% down. And, you know, the SBA, it's a business loan with real estate collateral. You know, they don't want to help investors get away with low down payments. You know, they want to make sure that you're going in. This is a business plan you're going to execute. You're going to potentially hire people based on your involvement, which now we're up to seven employees from the historical, I think, three. Um, and that you're going to be active in managing these. You know, the SBA yeah. is very peculiar. You can't buy these and then just go plug in a professional management company. You'll violate your loan covenants. And so, you know, this is a gray area for the SBA, like uh, self-storage facilities and motels. Um, and, you know, our property has a 12-unit motel on it as well, which was helpful. But we also bought it right after, you know, uh, the pandemic started. And we thought the hotel market was going to be dead. So uh, the nice thing was the SBA was an extremely good vehicle to get us in at 10% down, but you're still going to be dead heavy and the cap rate has to make sense to take down that kind of leverage. Um, yeah. Because ultimately we got a lot of our loan based on our business plan, not necessarily historicals and then obviously our personal, you know, signatures behind the loan. And, you know, that's not for everybody, but for us, it worked out and, but you still have to execute that plan. And so, Yeah. Uh, everything came together while it did take seven months. Uh, we did get 90% financing conventionally. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that in, in the next episode, but just yep. want to sneak peek. If you, if anyone's listening to this, it's incredibly interesting. And, and you know, certainly there's going to be people that want to know the details on that. We can dive into that later, but that, well, that was the reason I brought that up only to say that was the reason it took seven months is because the SBA is an, an incredibly arduous process. Well, we'll we'll dive we'll dive into how it won't yeah. be in the future and how it may not be for others. Maybe there's a little bit why we got picked on, and I, they weren't wrong. It really made us think about what we were doing. And while it was frustrating, I think in hindsight we're very appreciative. They prepared us better to take over this property than I say we would have if we closed yeah. in you know two months. So um, anyway. 
So let's go back. Okay, so we're in due diligence. We're doing different things. Obviously, I mean, we bought property before. This is different. Tell me, let's talk about some of the mistakes we made or things that you think we should have done differently or, or would do on the next one. Yeah, I think... Uh, Start, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, to the seller's credit, we managed a close date of the end of uh, September, and uh, we didn't close till New Year's Eve, so we lost a little bit of seller control there. Um, but I think the biggest lesson I would give to your audience when buying these RV parks, and a little specific to our experience, which will hopefully not happen in the future for any RV park buyer, that is, um, and it's a rookie mistake, and maybe some people that are experienced are going to hear this, and it's not rookie. But the, the day we go non-refundable, um, really try to negotiate uh, our say in who can come into the park prior to close. Uh, have some involvement to, you know, negotiate you know, who's being put in the park. You know, we had a perfect storm happen where, you know, COVID hit and a lot of uh, neighboring properties with the moratorium in Washington, uh, they just kicked out a bunch of long-term tenants because they basically said, we're going to charge nightly plus tax, which made it $1,800, $2,000 a month to live at a place they were paying 500. And a lot of those just flocked over and the seller wasn't doing background checks um, and just put people in that paid one month's rent and then they stopped paying and we can't get them out until this moratorium lifts. So uh, without COVID and without moratoriums, I would still say it would have been valuable if we had negotiated after we went non-refundable that we approve uh, every application that came in between the day of, of lifting earnest money to close date. That, that was a real valuable lesson for me anyway. Yeah, because absolutely. Yeah, we've got lingering I mean, like, problems now with that. To expand on that, it's, it's in most people's PSAs, whether you enforce it or not is different. I mean, we had a tenant who moved in, it's a motel, but he, he rented this, the room on a monthly basis. Well, that would be fine in a normal market, but because of COVID, we weren't able to get that resident out. Ended up happening is he left, had a tenant, his girlfriend come in. That was a holdover tenant. Meanwhile, we're stuck. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, like very difficult situations. And and those, I'm sure, are happening around the country. But that is, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, knowing, saying, hey, you can't, you can't let anybody in the park unless we approve them, right? Right. Um, so that's a good lesson. You know, obviously making the seller give you that kind of power, you want to give them a reason to believe you're going to close on the deal. So that's why I mentioned the earnest money, mm -hmm. um, which we, you know, we went non-refundable pretty quick, but we were just keeping him patient since we had blown past our plan close date that I think we just forgot to even think about those things. Um, the other thing I would probably say uh, is two things. Um, public record. You know, these RV parks historically have, and, and I think going forward will be affordable uh, in the marketplace. So go to your local uh, police department, sheriff's department, and make a public record request for the last 12 months of all police and, you know, incidents at the property. So you can kind of understand what you might be dealing with uh, in, the, in, you know, either the market or even the property specifically. And you'd be surprised the tenants that we thought were going to be strong tenants had some you know, the most incident reports. And that gives us more information about how we want to continue managing the park going forward, tenant relations, and maybe where some of the problem children were as far as like, you know, what our goals are is making sure all tenants are happy and affordable housing is not only staying intact, but people are safe. And uh, we did that after close and we were quite surprised how many police incidents were 
<laughs> I mean, they gave me two boxes for the last 12 months. And ironically, I think more than half of them were during our closing process. So there was a lot the seller wasn't disclosing to us that we should have probably had more, a little more control over. But I would tell your listeners, go in there. They, they don't even care who you are. If you're willing to pay the fee and make the public record request, they'll get them to you. Yeah, on that topic to go meet the police, right? Because police like to see yes. who's coming in and that'll give you a lot of goodwill. We did that, but we didn't get the police records. I mean, yeah. I would also add, to be fair, a lot of those police uh, calls are, are like completely bogus. It's like, yeah, yeah. they're, they're a little silly. You're kind of like, really? I mean, so when you look at the stack initially, you're just like, oh, crap. <laughs> then you weed out probably half of it and you're like, okay, it's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, good point. Um, the third thing I would, I would say, I, if we're just going off a of top three in that process of buying these things, if you have any plans to, you know, keep half your park, because in the case of the SBA, more than 51% of our property has to be transient, right? So even if we have demand to put all 80 spaces on long-term, meaning 30 days plus your month-to-month or year leases, we can't do that. So, you know, 51% of the 80 spaces has to be transient, which is great. That could be really good money. We're on the coast, you know, destination, park, all the things we'll get into in later episodes. Uh, but in your due diligence, if you don't already have a reservation software company you're comfortable with, uh, really do that research and go through the demos and understand um, maybe having that implemented day one. I mean, we took over Excel spreadsheets and it was just a scramble for the first six months of trying to figure out, you know, tracking of income. You know, rent rolls really easy and people just paying rent every month is amazing. And that's why people buy apartments and mobile home communities. But these RV parks are fantastic. I mean, there's a lot of money left on the table if you just fill them all up long-term, in my opinion. So if you're gonna have any transient in your park, knowing how you want your reservation software day one will save you a lot of grief. Yeah. Yeah, you actually stole that from me. Um, <laughs> that was gonna be my number one. I mean, look, we not knowing what we were getting into on one hand, having a motel and an RV park, you really have like three layers there. So you have a transient motel, yes. transient RV tent guests, and then you also have guests who quote unquote live there month to month. And when you look for management software, I like to refer to it as management software because at the end of the day, you're just managing the park. And, and a lot of it is geared towards scheduling or reservation systems when you talk about RV. The mm -hmm. reality is there's so many RV parks that have that month to month permanent or long-term component that it's really hard to find the one that can do all of that. And I think that was our initial hangup. <clears throat> you know, we, we found one we really liked uh, and we thought it was gonna work well, didn't work with the motel component because you know, with the motel side, you have Expedia booking and all these various third-party booking engines. And unless you're finding a way to integrate that into your own software, it can just be a cluster, right? And so yeah. that was the biggest problem there. Fortunately, we went to ResNexus and we've had good success there. But at the end of the day, I mean, still, there's not one size fits all. Um, hopefully there will be at some point, but I think doing the research ahead of time, finding out which one you're gonna do. And then I would add, set it up, like go through and set your resident, like put the entire park in. Now it's hard to do if you're not non-refundable in the, in the deal, right? Cause you don't know if you wanna spend all that time if you're not gonna buy it, but 
Yeah. And I think that was probably the reason we didn't. There was so much uncertainty from our end if we were even going to close. I mean, even up until like two weeks prior to closing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there's a, I mean, we could get into the story about how, you know, I had to drive there at the 11th hour because <laughs> the owner wanted to cancel the deal when he literally had a, a mobile notary at his house or at his his place that day. He kicked him out. He, he said, "Get out of here." Their attorney can and, call my attorney. So yeah, we will definitely tell that story. Dude, that's a great story. I mean, there's that story alone is worth you know ten minutes. But I think that's why we didn't do it. I mean, I remember like sitting there up, you know, the entire process, and you and I were like, "Is this even going to happen?" And I think had you know now that we know. We can definitely do that again because we've got one under our belt. It's going to be much easier next time. Yes. That will be different. We'll, we'll know exactly what we're doing. We'll have it set up. So. Well, and with your audience, I mean, that's exactly right. If you and I are listening to this podcast later, we're thinking, oh, yeah, we've been through that. We have that experience. So trying to touch on what we would do different for newbies and or experienced investors, it would be that. let you know, Let's go non-refundable when we're all feeling comfortable. And, you know, that's a can be a bit of a pain. You know, that's why you work with a mortgage broker on the lending side is managing that, you know, when lenders approve you, they want to close in 10 days, maybe say, Hey, you can't close in 30. We glad you guys are on board. We need to, we need 30 days to get our reservation, you know, software ready to go day one. We're managing who's coming in and out. And most importantly, make sure the seller doesn't get lazy and just let vacancies turn over and nothing happen. Right. A lot of good things go into this, but another thing about these RV parks that, you know, I want to mention maybe, so that's why I probably shouldn't have said top three, but my experience was the insurance. Um, I feel okay. like getting insurance in place was like getting a loan for six months. I mean, it was a colonoscopy and I know it's partly because of where we live with the wildfire risk and trees and just being in the Northwest. Uh, we're not in a flood zone. We weren't in some, you know, special, uh, you know, the fire department wasn't 20 miles down the road. The fire hydrants were all around the park and all those questions insurance companies care about. It was really interesting that a lot of vendors were, you know, staying away from these. And I couldn't get a straight answer as to why, if it was location or asset type, but getting insurance that wasn't going to be predatory was, I mean, that's an episode in of itself. But, you know, getting all that figured out, knowing it's worth your time, I think when you get pregnant with the deals, we call it behind the scenes, um, managing the seller's expectation that we just need time to get stuff implemented so we're ready to go. Now... Again, that's our part with a guy that was using an analog way of tracking and running the place. You might buy a property that they just give you the license and the keys to all that stuff, and it's kind of a plug and go, but that's not typically the case on these assets. Yeah, good point. Um, I've sold RV parks that have management in place that are mm-hmm. very good management managers, and owners have been extremely happy. So you can do that, right, where you actually take over a property that has really good management already in place. That's a huge advantage. I mean, we, you know, more often than not, you're going to find these mom and pop owners that actually own and operate the park themselves. That's probably where you're going to get good deals. But then again, therein lies the the, the higher cap rate, right? Higher cap rate. What right. is it? Would you say higher cap rate, more problems, more money, more big problems? cap rate, big problems. Throw that on your car. Well, and to remind your audience, you know, this place with the motel, let's face it, motels can be quite, you know, they can be cash flow, you know, machines. But I think without um, ancillary income, you know, propane sales, pet fees, extra guest fees, 
all that ancillary stuff, this was a 13 cap. Um, and it's a 16 cap if you counted everything gross and expect that to be the same every year, which we know isn't the case. So for us, we had a lot of room to make mistakes. I, I do want to add that to this episode. It, it gave us a lot of room to make mistakes. If we had bought a six or seven cap with the same type of lending structure, we would have been feeding this thing. But of course, we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking today about this project because those numbers just don't make sense. No, and if we bought a lower cap rate RP park, it would be pretty organized already, I would think. I wouldn't be in Portland, you wouldn't be in Bend, we'd be at the property. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, so, look, that's that goes into another kind of mistake I wanted to make, which I, you know, I pride myself on underwriting these deals as you do. I think we probably underestimated the amount of labor costs that we would have at this property. And I tell people this, that are, you know, that we're buying and selling RV parks too, hey, you really wanna make sure you you don't underestimate labor. Cause I can tell you, it does cost more to operate these properties. Now, I will say that with the caveat that having a motel is different. So I'm not mm -hmm. talking just RV. Um, no, but the transient nature of running these yeah. things is going to cost you more labor than just and a mobile role. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, I, he was, you know, the owner was probably operating this completely lean. I mean, he and his wife were just scrambling. I, I think his poor wife was, just working her tail off. So she was. yes. Yeah, I mean, I think understanding what you've got is a big thing and knowing what it's gonna take to run this place. Um, I think the last, like one of the last things, and if you've got anything, we can, we can go back, but one more thing that I thought was interesting and I didn't learn really till the end, and this, this has something to do with what, what we just talked about, the owner wanted to cancel the deal, but understanding who the person on the other side of the table is who you're dealing with, this was a Korean couple, very different uh, values and, and culture and, and way and a way of doing business mm -hmm. that I didn't, honestly, I didn't fully realize until that moment of them sitting down at the, the signing table, having the mobile notary there. They looked at the closing statement and wasn't what they thought. They basically said, get out of here, we're not selling. He called me and said that. Uh, I proceeded to drive down there and, and then Tim came down after and, you know, we, we sort of, we put this whole charade and not charade, but we did this whole thing to like win them back. But I think that's a big lesson that I learned is like, Hey, not everybody has the same idea of how these transactions go. And it's easy for you and I, because we're in this business, we understand it, but sitting on the, the buy side is much different. Um, and you know, Make sure you are put yourself in those shoes because it can have a big effect on the deal. And it's really easy in today. It's a really good point, Tyson, to try to problem solve over cell phone calls, text messages, emails, and get to the bottom of it because it's convenient, especially with COVID. We're trying not to travel and expose ourselves or anybody. But you're right. I would say that even though this is a circumstantial deal, that regardless of the culture, I think it was wise we went up there. But specific to their culture, it was very important. And it was important for us. I mean, I wanted to make sure we were in the same room to have that conversation uh, before it got ugly. And so you shooting up there right away was really smart. And uh, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and, you know, just for the audience knows, we'll get into details of what happened. But basically, nothing that wanted, uh, nothing we did would have made him walk away. It was his misunderstanding on his own numbers which was pretty fascinating. That had to do with getting one of those emergency SBA loans and really, really bad advice from his CPA 
that, again, we'll get into later. Regardless, though, it was perception that we were trying to take advantage of them, and that was that could have not been solved without being in person with anybody, but specifically with that culture. So you running up there right away and being, you know, a man in controversy and showing up with a present and showing that, you know, we had nothing but respect and it's a misunderstanding was safe. It really did save the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else before we wrap this episode up? I think it's a lot we just covered. Yeah, yeah, I think we're still kind of paraphrasing the details that I'm excited to get into as we continue recording these uh, episodes. So again, thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, you bet. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. If you wanna reach out to Tim or myself, Tim's email, um, I don't know, we can put your, your email in the show notes. Tim, just a shout out again, but Tim is a mortgage broker. So if anyone's looking to finance an RV park, I mean, you would, uh, you would do yourself a good favor by reaching out to Tim. So. We'll put that in the show notes and uh, yeah, take care everyone and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs> Bye guys. Thank you.